you brought your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you have. Turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12. I want to begin there this morning. Acts chapter 12, verse 1 begins and says, excuse me, says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side, raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street. And forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Let's go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you, Lord, for our church family. We thank you for the blessings, the roof you put over our head. We thank you, Lord, um, for the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have to be able to openly gather here without any kind of fear of persecution. So many people, so many places in the world do not have that freedom. And we thank you. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. We know it's a gift from you. We thank you, Lord, that we have that right and that freedom. And we thank you for all those who have sacrificed, who have bled, and who have died so that we could have that freedom. But we thank you most of all this morning for your son Jesus. Lord, that you sent him in giving so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. Lord, we're not worthy and we don't deserve it. And you knew that, but you've done it anyways. And so, Lord, we give you the praise and the glory because you alone are worthy of it. You alone deserve it. And, Lord, I just pray as we go forward here this morning in this service, Lord, you know the hearts of each one of us here. There's nothing hidden from you. There's nothing that's a surprise to you. So, Lord, I'm just praying that you'd have your way and your will in our midst. God, that you'd lift us up, that you'd encourage us, that you'd draw us near to you. God, I pray here this morning, Lord, whatever the needs is, if somebody needs a touch in their body, Lord, we know you're the great physician. Whatever it might be, Lord, if there's any here that's backslidden, any that's lost and undone, any that's not sure 
If they were to die today, what would happen to them? Where they would spend eternity? God, let today be the day that they would get things right with you before it's everlasting too late. And Lord, let me ask one more thing of you this morning. I need your help. I can't preach a lick without you, and I know that. So Lord, I'm just asking, Lord, for not only your presence to be felt here in this service in a mighty way, but God, that your anointing, your holy unction, Lord, that you'd pour it out on us here th this morning, that you'd pour it out on me. God, that you'd fill me full of your spirit, Lord, and anoint me from on high that I might preach your word in a way that pleases you and brings you glory. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. God, give us ears to hear what you would say by your spirit. We love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I did not read the whole chapter, although I easily could have, could have went through verse 19 anyways, uh, telling this story, this set of events. Um, and maybe I should just uh, bring us all up to speed. In, in case you missed it there when I read that, um, or you're not familiar with this story, Peter is in prison, right? Um, Christianity is starting to take hold. It is starting to gain popularity. Um, it is starting to make some waves, right, in the area. Uh, the political and religious leaders are concerned about it, right? They don't like what they're seeing. They don't like what's happening. King Herod that is spoken of there is actually Herod Agrippa I. That is the grandson of Herod the Great from the Gospel accounts, right, that you'll remember from the beginning of Matthew and Luke. Anyways, um, Herod Agrippa, it says that he had executed James, that's the brother of John, had him executed. And he saw how well that pleased the Jewish people. Now, this would be the religious people that are as upset as worried about um, this Christian movement. And he saw how happy it made all of them. And it says wishing to vex the church, right? Now, vex means he's, he's wishing to hurt the church, right? He's, he's wishing to put a damper on things. He's wishing to stamp this out, right? He, he's wishing to put the squeeze on them, right? So here's King Herod. He represents the government, right? He is the, he is the king. He is the appointed governor, right? Leader of that area. The Romans have put him in charge there. And wishing to cause some harm, to vex the church, right? I think something else that's interesting in this passage of Scripture, before I go any farther, is in verse 2 it specifically says that when he executed James, that it was by the sword. Well, that's, now, there's nothing in the Scripture that's by accident or by mistake, right? There's nothing just happened to just be thrown in there just to give a little more detail. There's a reason why that's there, right? It's because they were, the Christianity at this point was viewed as a threat, a political threat. If it, if, if it would have been, he would have been executed because they were viewing it strictly as a religious uh, threat, then he would have been executed the same way that Stephen was executed a few chapters earlier. They would have stoned him to death. But the political, that was specifically a, a, one of the Roman means or ways of putting their uh, political opponents to death. And so anyways, they had done that to James. They caught Peter. They put him in prison. They intended to do the same thing with him. That one word that starts with a Q that I was having trouble saying, what that's talking about is there was four sets of, four, of, of a squad of four soldiers that was put in charge, right, of keeping him. Herod didn't lose Peter. 
uh, the way I figure that is that the day's divided into four watches, and so there was four. There was always four soldiers, right? That was there. It sounds to me like from reading that scripture, I don't know exactly how their setup was, but it sounds like there was always one on either side of him, chained to him, and then he was in two levels of prison, right? And there was a guard at each gate. That's kind of what it sounds to me like. And so, anyways, as we go through and read this, we see that that Peter is in this situation, chained between two soldiers inside right inside a cell inside of the cell was a guard at each gate right or was you know each doorway each way out the only way out and the church is back at Mary the mother of John Mark's house praying now there is so many things that a person could preach on the story or bring out of the story that's interesting but just to stick with the storyline here they're praying God obviously answers their prayer because the angel of the Lord comes in the night, right? He comes in the night. Peter is there on logs. I'm not sure if Peter was just that good of a sleeper or if he had that much confidence in God. He wasn't worried about it. But either way, you know, where most of us, or at least me, wouldn't be able to sleep a wink for worried what's going to happen, you know, maybe looking for an opportunity to get out of this, Peter is sawing logs so much to the point that the angel of the Lord had to whack him, had to smack him, right? Give him a good poke to wake him up. And he tells him, get up, you know, guard thy loins. In other words, get ready. We're getting out of here. Put your clothes on, boy, let's go. And Peter stands up. The chains fell off of him. The, angel, or the uh, guards are sleeping right through this. Now, these aren't just lazy guards. This is something supernatural that's happening. God brings them out and as they come to the first gate, opens away. It doesn't tell us the exact situation of the guards. I don't know if they were snoozing or if they, they just, God had blinded them or whatever, but it just keeps going. And through all of this, Peter didn't believe that it was real. He could not believe what was happening to him. He could not believe that this was actually what was really happening. He thought he was dreaming or seeing a vision or something, you know, anything but this is reality it wasn't until they're clear of all of it plumb out of the city gate and everything that he's and the angels left him that he realizes whoa that just really happened and what does he do now i didn't read the rest of this but you go home this afternoon and read the rest of this chapter what does he do he goes to where he knows the church is right they're meeting at mary's house the mother of john mark right john mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark. So he goes there. Now, I, I don't know. I kind of envision how this setup is because it says that Peter's at the gate knocking. Rhoda goes to the door. So it's, I don't know if it's like the gate to the yard, the courtyard or whatever. As you can imagine, right, it said that, the, you know, one of their leaders, or the church's leaders, has already been executed. The next one, Peter, is in prison, right? Plan on executing him just as soon as Passover and all those celebrations are over with, right? That he's going to be executed. The church knows that they're being persecuted. So they're not just opening the door for just anybody, right? So here comes Peter knocking, and, and Rhoda goes to the door, right? And whenever Rhoda um, hears his voice, she recognizes it immediately, and she runs back to tell the rest of them. But the rest of them, they don't believe her. 
I, you know, I was just sitting there thinking it's almost like our own, I'm going to call you out, Abby. It's almost like our own little incident here this morning, right? Gracie comes running up here to the front and says, the band teacher's here, the band teacher's here. And Abby's like, no, you're crazy. You're losing your mind, right? And she's like, no, no, he really is here. That's a, uh, Rhoda was our own little Gracie, right? Rhoda come running up there and was like, Peter's here, Peter's here, Peter's here. And they're like, no, you've lost your mind. Go on. That is not the case. And she kept on until finally they went back. To, you know, first they were saying, if you really heard his voice, it must have been, they said he's angel. I think they meant like his spirit or his ghost or something like that, you know. And so anyways, and then finally they go and they check it out. And there's Peter, and Peter tells them what had happened. Now, the reason that the Lord has brought us to this story this morning is we're gearing up and getting ready to have our revival. And when I look at this, think about this. Peter, a man of God who, by all accounts we could say, was the leader of the church at that time, couldn't believe what, what had happened when God delivers him. The church who has gathered praying specifically for God to do something, when God does do something, couldn't hardly believe, couldn't believe at first that God had actually done something. I think we're kind of guilty that way sometimes too, aren't we? Do you realize that if we will gather and we'll begin to pray, God will move today the same as he did before? We serve the same God, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changed. He tells us very clearly that he, in Malachi, says, I change not, right? He's the same. He, he is not a, a respecter of persons, right? Peter's already declared that. He says, of truth I perceive, God is no respecter of persons, meaning that he'll do for me, he'll do for you what he done for me. He'll do for us what he done for them. So let's examine, let's look really close. And what they've done. Verse 5. Right? I understand their situation. I mentioned to you that Herod, that Herod, the leader of the local political government, had intended to vex them, to cause them harm. Right? And so they had a government that was hostile towards the church. Um, I don't know that that would be, you know, I mean, we can see some similarities today, right? We see a society, a culture that is becoming more and more hostile towards the church. We see ourselves as a church not uh, having maybe some of the things that we used to, uh, we used to be blessed to have and experience. And, and so anyways, but I want you, this attack on them, I want you to think about for a minute, how did they handle it? How did they handle this attack, right? Did they march on the courthouse steps? Did they become political activists? What did they do? I'll tell you what they did. They had a prayer meeting. Think about that for a minute. They had a prayer meeting. When things aren't going the way that we think they are, our first in this day and time, our first reaction is to jump up and shout and, and make ourselves scream as loud as we can, trying to get everybody to see us and take notice of us as possible. But look what the church did. church had a prayer meeting. They prayed. And when they prayed, God showed up and did what only he could do. That's what true revival really is, church. It is God. It's when God shows up and does what only he can do. 
The early church had a high priority on prayer. I've heard it said before, and I believe it's very true, that they had much power because they had much prayer. And today, talking about the church, we have little power because we have little prayer. You know what I believe? I believe it's going to take the same kind of prayer to bring revival today as it took to get the Apostle Peter out of prison. So let's look. Verse 5. That's the verse that I think is the key to this, that holds the secret to this, so to speak. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. The first thing I want you to take notice is that without ceasing, right? That is some intense praying, right? Intense prayer is what it's going to take, right? They, uh, it, it, what we are bad about doing, if we're not careful, we rush in and we rush out of our prayer time so quickly that we hardly have time uh, to really seek the face of God. Think about it for a minute. What if we talk to God as often and as long and as intense Tensely, as we talk to our friends and family when we're truly in need of uh, in a time of need or help, right? What if uh, uh, what if our prayer meetings, right, uh, were characterized by earnest, intense? prayers. Uh, think about that for, ju for just a minute. Or think about the last time uh, that you had an emergency and that you needed people to pray. What if, what if we prayed for revival with that same seriousness and that same intensity? Second thing that I want you to notice in this scripture is I want you to notice the unity of it, right? The united Prayer, right? It says, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church. Now, the term church in the Bible here does not refer to a certain denomination. It does not refer to a certain building in which a Christian or any building that a Christian congregation meets in. It means the congregation itself. When it's referring to the church, it's referring to the body of Christ. All of us that are believers, right? All of us that are saved, whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, we together, throughout all of time and throughout all of geography, wherever they might be located at, scattered throughout all the world, we represent, we are the church. So remember, the church is not the building. It's the people that's in the building. And if that's true, then remember it's not the building, but what happens in the building that changes lives. When, when the church comes together to pray, there is power in those prayers. There absolutely is. Praying together, and maybe this is what I'm trying to say here this morning, Praying together, us united together, lifting our voices up to God makes a difference. It changes things. But we must be praying with agreement in our hearts. And that's why it's so important that our prayer time should be a time of what the scriptures call spirit-led praying. Right? Not just head praying. Not just whatever thoughts that I might have, but prayer that is led by the Spirit of God. That's why it says in Ephesians uh, 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. 
That's why Jude verse 20 says, But ye, beloved, uh, building up yourselves on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. As we pray for this revival, let's pray like it matters. And let's pray like our prayers actually make a difference. Because they do. The next thing that jumps out at me here in verse 5 is where it says, unto God. Right? Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God. It's sincere, right? You're speaking to God. It's a sincere prayer. Prayer time, what, what that is, should really be talking to God time. Not trying to use some sort of flowery speech to impress those who are listening. Doesn't matter who's listening or who's not. That's what Jesus was saying in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 when he warned us uh, against praying like the hypocrites, right? Which they were just praying to be heard by men, right? Or praying like the heathen who were just using um, memorized phrases and sentences like it's a, you know, open sesame magic spell or something like that. Jesus taught that we should pray sincerely and genuinely. We need to learn again, church, how to pray from the heart. How to pray as if we are talking to God and not just repeating some sort of religious phrases that people have come to expect us to hear or we've come ourselves to expect to say. You know, every revival has begun and been sustained by prayer. You know, someone once said that the time has come to stop saying our prayers and start praying our prayers. I think I understood what they were getting at and what they meant. So you must be moved to pray before your prayer is going to move God. And one more thing is it says, is the last two words in this verse says, for him, for Peter. For the specific need and situation, right? So the prayer was specific, right? The prayer was intense. It was uh, united. It was, they were all in agreement what they were praying about, right? One wasn't praying for a new car while another one is praying for Peter, while another one is praying that, uh, you know, their relationship with their husband is fixed, while another one is praying for, you know, whatever their need is and so on and so forth. No, they were united in prayer and what they were praying for. And their prayer was sincere. They were talking to God, right? They weren't just saying words to be heard or just going through a checklist or anything like that. They were speaking to God about something that really mattered to them. And they were specific in what they were asking for God. They were asking God to take care of the situation with Peter. Too often I think that we pray just generic prayers. Like, you know, We'll say things like, Lord bless the church. Well, in what way? What are you talking about, right? Let's get specific here. Or we'll say things like, Lord, meet all of our needs. Well, what needs specifically? What needs are you wanting God to specifically meet? Start praying for them. They called on God for a particular action. They prayed specifically for Peter's situation. You know what the Bible says in Philippians 4, 6? It says, let your request be made known unto God. That's what we've got to do. That's what they needed. That's what they did. That's what we need to do. 
So let me ask you, what are some of the specific things you want God to do during this revival? What specific things do you want God to do in your heart? What specific, specific things do you want God to do maybe in your marriage, your relationship? What's, what things do you want God to do in your family? How about in our church? Listen to me. Some ask the question, do we need revival? Really the question more asked today is, does revival even work anymore? I'll answer with the same answer I've been giving you week after week after week. When great revival hit Wales in 1904, right? You ought to be able to say this by now. I've said it so many times. The coal mines were filled with singing. The taverns were empty. The courts ran out of cases to try. And the police no longer had a need to carry guns. So my question is, is do you actually believe but revival can make that kind of difference in our country? Do you think it can make that kind of difference in our schools, in our churches, in our homes? You better believe it can. You better believe it can. But it's going to take a real, heaven-sent, Holy Ghost revival. And it will not happen, church, until we get real with God, until we get sincere with God, until we begin to pray for revival. I mean really pray for revival. And so anyways, as I get ready to wrap things up here, of course, Jennifer had already mentioned that we're going to have, um, we're going to start with a prayer revival before we even begin our revival. What that simply means is for three days, right, of the evening, we're going to come together and we're going to pray leading up to the revival. Uh, there is some packets that I've got a couple of guys going to hand out to you guys uh, uh, before we even leave and I'll explain more about that or as you're leaving uh, that has some information about what we're going to do so you know what to think and what to expect because we've never done anything not here we've never done anything like this before but let me just let me just close up as Jennifer's coming for a song of invitation let me just close up and give you some ideas right I, I made a list that I want to read to you of 10 things right that we can be praying for First thing that I put on here, right? You want to know what you need to be praying for, praying for today, praying for leading up to this revival, praying during this time that we're going to be coming together to pray. Pray that God will search your heart and reveal anything that's not right with Him. Anywhere where there's a problem between you and Him, right? Anything in your heart that doesn't belong there, anything that's not pleasing to Him, anything that's not, uh, that does not glorify Him. Made me think of Psalms 139 that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Second thing I had on here was that God will break any stubbornness and hardness in your heart. Right? Just like it says in Hosea, so to ourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up the, your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Pray that God would show you any relationships that need to be restored anywhere in, in, between you and someone, right? We've got, the Bible makes it clear we've got to take care of that first. Pray that 
you will have a greater sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit that instead of grieving the Holy Spirit that you be led by the Spirit of God. Pray that God would give you deep conviction of sin and repentance and a renewed fear of God. Right? What it means by that is reverence for God. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Pray that your words, your actions, and your thoughts would be pleasing to God. Pray that God would give you a spiritual hunger and a fervency like none you've ever had before. Right? That's why Jesus said, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Pray that God would give you a love, it would, would bring here a loving unity and a deep harmony into our church and into our families. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Pray that God will fill your heart with a passion to see lost people saved, to see uh, the bondage of addiction broken in so many of these lives, right? These people reconciled to God, coming back to Him. Pray. Pray that God will give you the courage and boldness to be a better witness for Him. That we could go out and boldly share our testimony and speak His Word. Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and invite you to come this morning. Spirit of God dealing with you, would you come this morning? you got a need. you got a burden. Don't you hold back any longer. Don't you wait any longer. Would you come this morning? Whatever it is, don't you, stand, don't you stand there and think, well, I'm worried what other people think. Don't worry what they think. All that matters is what God thinks. So if you've got a need, if you've got a burden, whatever it is, you need to come talk to the Lord. He has a good time and a good place. Would you come? Whatever it would be, would you come?